0: As we continue in the Advent season, we want to draw our attention to joy. I'm gonna read Luke 2, 8 through 14. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This candle represents joy. We look back with the joy and wonder that God would come into the world, and we look forward to his return, expecting the great, unceasing joy that he has promised us. All right love to hear when you guys are hanging out and getting to know each other a little bit. I know the, uh, the dre- some of you, are, are especially more extreme introvert, it's the dreaded meet and greet, right? It's like, oh, are you kidding me? We have that moment. So we want to give you enough time so that you can actually ask a few questions. So it's great to hear you guys talking. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. We'll be there in a little while. Uh, if you use a digital Bible, you're always welcome to use that as well. Uh, I was thinking, you know, we're in this Christmas series. It's called At Home for Christmas or Home for Christmas. And, and uh, you know, many of us know what it's like to live away from a, a home or what was home. And so we're using this theme of what does it mean uh, to be home for Christmas? And we're kind of decided to take a deeper, really theological look at the Christmas story. So we started that last week, we'll be doing it this week, and we'll, we'll tell you more about that as we go. But you know, Christmas season, this every year, it blows me away that this event that happened in history 2,000 years ago, a fulfillment of, of the biblical narrative, but this event has shaped the whole world. Isn't it amazing that you can go, my wife and I were on a, a trip a few uh, weeks ago, and uh, we landed, we were in the Singapore airport, and if you've ever been to Singapore airport, they have like jungles inside of it, if you've ever been there, it's like this gigantic place, but so we were in one of the jungles, and we looked, and there was this hundred foot tall Christmas tree already set up, and I looked at, I feel a little pressure now, it's like beginning of November, they're already ready for Christmas. They don't, sell, I mean, it's Singapore, it's not like it's a Christian nation, but across the world, this event of the birth of Christ has affected the whole world. If you go to any stores or anything, what is the music you hear in every store during the season? Christmas music, right? It's just, it's amazing that the world is still so transformed because of this one event. And, and, and it's sometimes for good. You know, Christmas music, so, all right, how many of you are allowed to listen to it now? It's December, it's okay. Yeah, I know some of you have rules. You're like, it's not in my house. Some of you, I know one person, it's in July. You can start listening to Christmas music. So, yeah, I know, a little a little much. So I was just wondering though, so my, Ben and I we were I driving him to school the other day and we were talking and thinking, Christmas music is the most covered music in the world. Like, there are a hundred versions of every single song. It's pretty incredible. That, and, and they're all about the season, the birth of Christ. But I was thinking, you know, we could probably do without some of those Christmas songs. Don't you think? There's a few. So I just, I just thought, if you could get rid of a Christmas song forever, I need some ideas. Which one would you eliminate? Come on, just yell it out. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. That is a correct answer. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> that's one. Okay. <laughs> the chipmunk's Christmas. <laughs> Me, I want a hula hoop. Yeah, I mean, come on. Okay, any others? Get rid get- of Wait, grandma got ran over by a reindeer. I, you know, I don't think I've heard that in a while, but yeah, fair, fair. Um, I heard Santa baby. Let's get rid of that. Oh, good king. <laughs> can you sing it really quick? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, so there's, there's a few. I mean, mine has to be um, Last Christmas. Come on, can we do, can we be done with that one? That, that one. And then there was the Paul McCartney one. What, how's it go? Someone sing it to me. It's just terrible. Um, it's about Christmas. Anyway, I forget what how it goes. I'll remember at second service, and they'll be blessed with it. But anyway, yeah, so it's amazing that this event has, it just has this effect on the whole world. And the question we want to go into is, and we looked at last week, of why was this event necessary? Why did Jesus come? But today we want to really unpack this idea of what happened that when God became man, what did that actually do? And is it reasonable for us to believe that? So that's where we want to go today. So I want to invite you to pray with me as uh, we get started. God, we thank you so much again for uh, the joy of being together as a family, rem- being reminded of the story that you came down. And God, I pray that as we look into the reason why and what it accomplished, would you transform and change our hearts? And maybe there's people here who've heard this story so many times. It feels cliche, it feels so familiar. That God, would you just increase our wonder in believing this? Would you increase our, uh, just awe of you that you would do what you did? And maybe for some, this is still new, or maybe for some, it's trying to make sense of it. God, would you make that real today? We want uh, to be a community of people who are transformed by you and your goodness. We want to experience that life that you came to bring. So would you help us experience that now in this place? In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to jump right in, and as I told you, uh, today I'm going to warn you ahead of time. So some sermons uh, uh, go different directions. This one is going to be a little uh, bit—there's just a lot of information today. So it's going to feel a little bit like a seminary class. Um, We're going to really go into the theology of why this event happened, but I think it really matters. It really matters, and for some of you who could come up here and teach this yourselves— let this be a confirmation to you of, of what you believe. And for others, I, we want to increase our depth of knowledge of what Christ did. Because when you put it on the surface, and, and I, every year I'll hear a few um, you know, national figures or comedians who just mock the story of Christmas. They mock the idea that, oh, Christians who believe that God became man, can you believe that? And so I think it's important for us to understand why that makes So that's what we're going to do today. So start off, John chapter 1 verse 14, and I have most of these verses on the screen for you today. John chapter 1 verse 14, the the verse writes this, the writer John, he says, the word became flesh. Now when he uses the word, we're going to talk about that in a second, in uh, the first chapter of John, he's referring to Jesus. It's a Greek word, the logos, it means kind of this order or this ordered one. And so he says, the word became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So, right in the very beginning of the book of John, John doesn't tell us any Christmas story. There's no birth narrative. There's nothing about baby Jesus. But in the book of John, he starts and lets us know that the Word became flesh, Jesus became flesh. Now, This is uh, where we get this word called the incarnation. So you want a nice big church word? I have two words today you're gonna learn that uh, or hear that I want you to use in a conversation today. All right, so one is incarnation. Um, And this literally is from the Latin to become flesh. So when we talk about this big kind of theological word, the incarnation, we're talking about becoming flesh. And so it's this belief that Jesus becomes flesh. He puts on human body. Now, we want to understand something about this, because this is something about the nature of God. If Jesus being God, part of this trinity, which we'll talk about in brief in a moment, he becomes flesh. This means that this is not God doesn't become something new. He takes on flesh, but he was already God. He wasn't born in this moment. Jesus didn't come into being in the Christmas story. He already existed. Now, this is is where people would say, wait, what do you guys believe? This is hard. But it's important that we have this foundation. That it's actually, when God becomes flesh, he doesn't, it's not a new God that's been formed. He hasn't been born, all of a sudden, God the Father has a child, and his name is Jesus. No, this is the act of God entering into human skin. So that's becoming flesh. And this, it has to do with our belief in what we call the Trinity. The Trinity is a belief that God is one, God, but exists as a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we use those terms, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Scripture uses those terms. It's for us to understand the nature of, Of God. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all part of God. We're not, you're not going to fully understand this by the end of today, by the way, but all fully God, simultaneously existing, and eternally existing. Uncreated one. It's God. And there's three, and it doesn't mean sometimes God is the Father, sometimes He's the Son, sometimes the Holy Spirit. Simultaneously existing, fully equal. Okay? So this is now. That belief is hard to grasp. I have good news for you that in January, we're going to have a Sunday morning class for four weeks that's going to unpack some of the depths of our fundamental beliefs as a church. It's going to be taught, actually Steve Bennett and a group of of Bible teachers will be teaching it. One of the subjects is the nature of God and the Trinity. So if you don't fully understand it, go to that. That's all I'm going to say about it today. Okay, so there you go. But this is important for us to know that Jesus doesn't all of a sudden exist now that Christmas happened. He already existed. Now, why do we believe that? Let's go back to verse 1 of, John, of the book of John. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So here's an interesting thing. What we see now is the word, we find out it's Jesus, existed in the very beginning of what we see, time and space. He was with God, and he was God. That's an interesting way to describe someone, is it not? And so this is a unique part of the Christian belief. There are other Sex, uh, uh, sections of, of religion, some would be cult, you m- could even almost call it on the cult side, it just depends, but different versions that would say we're Christians but this verse causes them to stumble because they don't believe that Jesus is fully divine. They believe that Jesus is a created one, they've actually, in one case, in a Jehovah Witness will actually tr- has translated this different to say in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. So they added the word a, and even though in the original Greek and in their original Greek Bible, you cannot put the word a in here with Greek. It doesn't make any sense. So anytime we have a Christian faith that says Jesus wasn't fully God, He's created, or He's a lesser than, he, He's not equal to God the Father, that's not consistent with the teaching of Scripture. Now that's this is complex truth. But it's important that we understand that because Christmas, what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection would not have mattered if he was a created one. It wouldn't have the same effect. So it's important that we understand he's fully divine. Now notice this. All things were created through him. So one thing we learn about the Trinity is this, is that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have different roles, although they're equal, uh, they're fully equal and fully aligned. The Father is the one who uh, initiates a plan. We find through Scripture, the Son of God, so Jesus, is the one who uh, executes the plan, who goes, and then the Holy Spirit applies it. So here's what I mean. We'll see that God, the Father, creates this plan for redeeming mankind, for forgiving our sins, creating a people for Himself. The Son comes and executes the plan, what we'll see throughout this series. He comes and makes redemption possible. And the Holy Spirit is the one who now has been given to us to seal it, to say, this is what is now true of you. He applies that truth to you, the redemption. And we see that throughout Scripture. Here's an idea here. The world is created through who? The Logos, the Word, through Jesus. He's at the beginning in creation. He's the one executing the The plan. So Jesus is not just this kind little person who carries lambs on his shoulders. He is the creator. He's there with God. They're one and creating and speaking all life into existence. Fully divine, fully worthy of praise and worship. It's incredible. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, I have come down from heaven. Not to do my will, but to do the, one, the will of the one who sent me. Again, the father initiates a plan. So I come down to execute that plan. And this is the will of one who sent me, what he says. That I will not lose any who've been given to me, uh, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. So what we find here, again, the story of Scripture is Jesus, being fully God, comes to execute this plan. He's the one who enters in. It's an incredible story. Now, one thing we have to understand that you're probably asking this question. Okay, so if Jesus becomes man, is he man or is he God when he's walking around on earth? If you haven't asked that question, you can now ask that question. Is he fully man or God? What is he? And, and what our scriptures actually teach is the answer is yes. Okay, move on. <laughs> He's fully man and fully God. It's a, interesting. It's a, a truth that's hard to grasp. We have a, a little bit of this from Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 8, this is actually a song that we believe the very first church was singing. So this is probably by 50, year 50 A.D., They're singing this song in their morning worship or their evening worship to remind themselves of the nature of Christ. So Paul writes it down in the book of Philippians, it's a form of a hymn, and says this, Jesus, who's in very nature God, so he's fully God, his all the divine attributes, that is at his very core of who he is. He did not consider equality with God something to be and this is the NIV version, I like how it says it, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he, became, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what we have in this early song in the Christian church was this belief that God, being fu- Jesus being fully God came in form of flesh and didn't consider that aspect of his divine nature, something that he would use to his advantage. Some translations say something not to be grasped, but what that really means is he set aside all that comes, the glory that comes with being fully God. He set aside that. Now, he still had it. He still had access to it. He could, he, he still had access to be omniscient and powerful. We saw him exercise power over the demons and all these things. He had a, the divine power with him. But he set aside all the privilege of being the worshipped one, the creator of the universe. He set aside that glory as a human. But notice when you read stories of Jesus in the spiritual world, the demons knew very clearly who he was. And they shuddered. Because they were very clear who was in their presence. They saw through the skin and said, oh, you might be walking around as a man, but I get who you really are. So fully man, fully God. Now, we're going to get to in a minute why it matters that he was also experienced life as a human, but just stop there for a moment. Jesus who set that aside for us. Now, there's stories in Greek mythology and Roman mythology and things like that of gods who come down and visit mankind. We have stories throughout scripture where you might have a a God walking around. Um, I think there's a God named Thor who like throws a hammer and, you know, defeats bad guys and stuff. So you have stories like that, but none of them came down and said, I'm going to experience life fully as a human. I'm going to be born in a humble little manger. I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to play football, American football, and uh, get get tackled and have you know, a sprained ankle and go through life and, and experience being sore as I get older, and maybe every once I'll have a headache or have the flu, or I'm going to experience life like humans experience it. It's a bizarre but beautiful story. And when I say bizarre, I don't mean, why would you believe that? I mean no one would say their God is going to do that. But Jesus does it. So here's a question we want to answer then. if the Let's go with me for now to believe the incarnation is true. Jesus fully God becomes flesh. So the question now is why did that happen? Why did the incarnation happen? We looked at last week our need for it because we're in a broken world, but I want to just show you three things of why this had to happen this way. First one is this. Why the incarnation happened was to redeem mankind from Our sin. The incarnation had to happen. God becomes flesh to redeem us from our sins. Let me show you a few verses. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says this. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, meaning born into a world uh, where they are still under the Old Testament law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, meaning everyone, that he might receive, or that we might receive the adoptions of sons and daughters. So something happened when God becomes flesh. He comes as a plan that will be born under the law and redeem those who are under the law. So we know that he came for this very purpose. Now, there's a few things here that are interesting. It says, when the fullness of time came. Scholars kind of debate that. What does the fullness of time mean? Is it just the right time in history? Was it the right, you know, the prophecies have been set? There's a lot of things to believe that. I I have this quick little thought um, that we were talking as a teaching team, and I've shared it before, I think. But, you know, it's really interesting that when Jesus came, when a few hundred years prior, the Greek empire took over the world and created one common language. So you could communicate all the way from the Middle East all the way up and through Europe in one language, the Greek language. became the universal language almost of the whole world. The Romans took over and all, they built roads and technology. And it's just interesting. It, this, this is just my opinion. But when you think of the fullness of time, a time when, in history when Jesus enters in, when his redemption plan would be enacted, it was also the time in history when the spread of ideas could happen that you could communicate the message of Christianity spread throughout the earth unlike any other time in history. It was the the ancient version of the internet was created. And so in Christ, and that's just my own opinion, but I think it's pretty good timing. The temple still existed in Israel. It wouldn't have made as much sense if it was after the temple fell, after AD, year 70. So you look at this and think this was the time when God still, it made sense of his plan and Could spread to the earth. Okay, that's a side note. All right, back into text. So we know he came to redeem. Now, this is what we need to understand about this. Because what you can think is, well, why? Why does that redeem us? And as I said, we got deep class today, right? So think of this. The very first sin we looked at last week. The result of the first sin was Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed. So, we have in the story, God kills an innocent animal to make clothing to cover their shame. So, the first sin resulted in the first innocent death. It was an animal died to literally provide covering for their shame. From that point on, God is a God of order and justice. There is a system that your sin costs something. Your sin results in the only thing that then there was a sacrificial system that was symbolic, that they would kill an animal to symbolically say, this animal will die and shed its blood in place of our sin. The Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur, is every year. It's the Day of Atonement. An animal dies to symbolically cover your sins every year. But as the writer of Hebrews said, the blood of bulls and goats is not enough to take away your sins. It's just a symbolic reminder that sin results in death. God's a God of order. He's a God of justice. So still there's this humanity had sin that had to be dealt with. See, some people have this belief that God must be this vengeful, kind of angry God to send his son and torture and murder his son because he's so mad about your sin. Well, he's heartbroken about our sin, but he's so loving and good that he made a plan of redemption. So what would be sufficient to stand in place of a human If an animal is just symbolic, it's not enough You need an innocent human to stand in your place You need someone who can pay the price Because everyone else is not sufficient I'm not good enough to to stand in place of your sins Because I have enough of my own You tracking with me on that? So we needed an innocent human Now, here's the logical thought If it's one innocent human, and he's just human, why would that be enough for the whole world? It wouldn't, it only pays one price of one. But if it's divine, if it's omniscient, if it's never ending, if it's this infinite being, i.e. God, it's now sufficient for mankind. So this is where the lot, when I hear comedians, Bill Maurer is one of those who loves to mock Christianity. And every time he does, I just think, like, can I get on your show for five minutes and show you how? And he is very smart, but he knows nothing of the story of Scripture. He knows nothing of it. I would love to explain to him, like, do you see where you are so much less logical than this story? But it starts to make sense when you think, oh, okay. So this God needed a sufficient sacrifice, or we needed a sufficient sacrifice. Now, God the Father makes the plan. The son is happy to do it. It's not like Jesus went, okay, who's going to do this? Which one of us are going down there? No, he's fully God. They're together. They say, here's the plan of redemption. And Jesus says, I'm all in on redeeming our people that we created. The people I love, I'm all in. Now, when he experienced life as a human, he agonized over it because he knew it was going to be painful. As a human. So the story of redemption actually is a logical conclusion when you read the whole biblical narrative. That's the only thing that would be sufficient for our sins. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says this Therefore, uh, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, meaning like the rest of humanity. Uh, talking in in this case about the nation of Israel, but it's for the rest of us, in every respect. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, here's your second word of the day, propitiation for the sins of the world. So you have to use in a conversation today incarnation and propitiation when you're hanging out with your fantasy football friends. Okay, so... (laughs) propitiation is one of those churchy words Uh, it means essentially to appease or to settle a score so jesus comes to or to make an appropriate sacrifice you can put it that way so jesus comes to make an appropriate offering for the sins of the people redemption isn't it incredible how it's hard for us sometimes to receive that free gift this free gift that God gives us. He redeems us. He pays the price. And our nature is to want to pay it back. I don't know if you've ever done this or has anyone ever been like in a Starbucks and you showed up and the person in front of you paid for you? Anyone ever experienced that? Okay, a couple of you. Cool. So there's this thing that people do that often they call it pay it forward and you'd show up maybe at a Starbucks. It happens sometimes in the drive-thrus and you'll show up and they say, hey, your drink has been paid for by the person in front of you. You have a free gift today. That's pretty cool, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Almost every single time, the person who gets the free gift is like, that's so cool. You know what? I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And they pay for the person behind them, and they call it paying it forward. I guess that's paying it backwards, though, isn't it? But anyway, I heard at a local Starbucks, it went up to 30 people in a row paid for the person behind them, which is pretty cool, especially when you're picking up drinks for your whole family. That's if you're that guy. Like, they paid for me? Sweet. <laughs> but you know what's funny? The only person who got a free gift is the last one in line. And how do you feel when you're that person? When you show up and like, hey, it's free today. And you're like, sweet, throw on a, a, you know, a pastry. And you go up and you get it. And you go, thanks. See you later. <laughs> you broke the chain. <laughs> you actually are the only one who got something free. You know how, how often we treat Jesus' gift to us as we need to pay it forward? You gave us this beautiful gift of redemption. Now, okay, well, how can I pay it back to you, God? Here's the thing, you can't. You can't. You could can never do it. You could just receive the gift. Now, we are asked to live a certain way, so I'm not saying that. But the gift is yours. You can't earn it back. The nature of humanity, though, is what? To earn it back. When my wife and I were traveling in Asia, we were looking at these really cool, ornate temples and all these Buddhist temples. And, you know, you have the sayings all over the place. And and some of the Buddhist sayings are are the same as from our Proverbs, right? So you go, oh, wow, that's words of wisdom. But you know what? That whole faith, it's really more of a lifestyle, is all about trying to better yourself, better yourself, to try to make yourself acceptable to the world around you. A lot of karma and what you give out is what you get back. So contrary to the story of scripture, where God says, "I've made, I give you this gift, I am redeeming you because I am good, and I love you," it's incredible. Okay, so the incarnation happens to redeem mankind. Next one is this: Why did the incarnation happen to reveal God to mankind? So also Jesus walks around in flesh, and he actually shows us what life walking around as a human, living the life we're created to live, he shows us what that looks like. Actually, uh, there's a in John chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus just washed his disciples' feet, and he says this, you guys call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. I love that statement. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I do. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, says this. Therefore, be imitators of God, but as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, gave himself up for us as an offering A sacrifice, a fragrant aroma. So in these, we have this narrative through scripture that Jesus says, as I live, I give you a picture of what it means to walk in the ways I've created you to live. For the first time, we see what it means to be truly someone who honors God the Father above all. We see what it means to to truly love people who don't deserve it. We see what it true what real forgiveness looks like we see what compassion on display looks like the life of Christ becomes we get a picture a glimpse into the very heart and character of God through the life of Jesus that 's why we think it actually matters that we study scriptures and we know who Jesus is we think it actually matters you we should immerse ourselves in the study of scripture to, to read the stories of Jesus to process that to even ask the question I know that sometimes this got a bad rap after a while, but even asking, what would Jesus do in this moment? Now, I like to pray and say, God, what would you have me do? But you know what? It's good to know how Jesus responded because he left us an example. Would he love? Would he care? Would he do all? Like, what does that life of a redeemed person look like? Yesterday, I was uh, doing, running some errands, and maybe you've noticed but the Christmas season is upon us in Encinitas. If you, you can't even drive down Camino Real anymore. It's just, it's crazy. It's busy, every store. And I went into a store. I had to return something. And it's a store where I don't think everyone who works there loves that they work there. They just have a job, okay? So they're not, they're not cheery. They're not, it's not Chick-fil-A. You don't go in and there's no my pleasure going on here, right? So... I went in there to return something. There's a long line. and I'm the last person in line. And there's, one per, there's two people working. One of them was um, not at Ryan's approved pace of working, okay? Very slow. But the other one, she was powering through people. It's like, and, and this is how she did it. She goes, come over here. That's what she said. The person would walk over there, and she'd be like, psh, psh, take the stuff. Boom, here's your receipt. Go. It was amazing. I actually was standing amazed. And she, whatever the situation was, she goes, oh, this is a different situation, but I can do this for you. Here's your receipt. Get out of here. You know, it was like, it was clockwork. It was beautiful. I finally, and I was the last person in line. I got up there, and she just said, come over here. I'm like, I know, I'm coming. Not going to mess with you. I'm coming. And I just handed my stuff and the receipt. She starts going, and I just said, you're amazing. And She stops. Like, you're so fast. I can't believe, you are amazing at what you do here. The whole thing changed. It was incredible. She looks up at me, smiled. I'm like, oh, you smile, that's cool. And it's so, oh, I'm almost done. I've been working here all day. I've been here since 5.30. And I, yeah, my day's almost over. I'm like, oh, I hope you have a great night then because like, you really are impressive of how fast you are and how you just get, you know what you're doing. And it was just the conversation all of a sudden was so different. And it was just one of those little moments of how often do we stop to just lift someone up? I feel like Jesus would have been, the, I, he would have been my favorite customer no matter what job I ever had. You just lift you up before you get too impressed um as I left the parking lot and got on communal real <laughs> there's a driver in front of me who has never been to any sort of training in his life <laughs> he didn't know the speed limit he didn't know that I was behind him and I had places to go and, and in my, I was sitting there like, what is wrong with this guy? This is just a minute later. Like, what is wrong with him? And I was ready to do the, I'm going around him so I can pull up next to him and stare through the window so that he knows I'm superior to him and he needs to go back to driving school. Anyone have that habit too, that same kind of, don't raise your hand. But yeah, if you don't do that, do you ever have someone pull up and look in your window? You're that driver, okay. <laughs> It was just in that moment, I'm ready to go around there and give him that stare. And the Lord's like, really, Ryan? Really? What are you going to accomplish? And what about building someone up? And I was just kind of like, fine, sermon illustration, whatever, Lord. But so quick to, to get back to not the example Christ gave, who came to serve and to love. Last thing. So he came to redeem us. He came to reveal what God looks like. And then to, finally, he came to create a new humanity. Paul uses the language of the first Adam and the second Adam. The language of the first Adam brought sin into the world, but Jesus brings life, redemption, new creation. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, he says this, Just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression, so this is through Adam, so, too, through one righteous act came righteousness that leads to life for all people. See, what Jesus did is he brought this new humanity to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Anyone who's in Christ, you are a new creation. Something is different about you now. It's a new humanity. So it's not just this existence of a better humanity Jesus doesn't come to set an example and this is what a lot of the world believes. Here's a good teacher. We should follow his example. Okay. And when we do that, we have one moment where we do it well and the next moment we fall short. Our life Jesus would be swinging back and forth moment to moment. But if he does something new in us, he utterly makes us new and says, you are a new creation, you are redeemed, you are adopted as sons and daughters of mine, your life is not the same. It happens because of the incarnation. If Jesus was just a human, his sacrifice would have done nothing. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, your faith would be useless and you'd still be in your sins. And if Christ can only be raised from the dead, if what? He existed and in, in he had to live. And so this whole idea of incarnation, his death and resurrection did something. It changed something. And it made us into something new. We need it. As we end our time here the question for us is how do we respond? What does this do for us? And I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. One of the things that we hear especially throughout the book of Hebrews is because Jesus lived and existed as one of us fully man and fully God that even there it changes our relationship to him. In Hebrews chapter 4 Verse uh, 14 starts with this. I have a couple of these verses for you. I'm going to back it up to verse 14. It says, Since we have a great high priest, he describes Jesus as this high priest, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our faith, to our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who's been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Stay on that for a second. So Jesus has been tempted in every way we have, yet without sin. He's gone through it. Now you'd say, well, he's never, he's never struggled with, uh, think of something, uh, internet pornography. He never struggled with that. No, but was he tempted by lust? Yeah. You say, oh, well, J- Jesus never, you, you know, whatever you want to modernize it. He was tempted in every way we were, yet he did not sin. I even believe that means he experienced pain. We know that he saw the loss of people he loved, and it hurt him. We saw, we, I believe that he experienced physical ailments and sickness, which I still sometimes think, like, Jesus, did you ever heal yourself? But anyway, um, but he, he experienced all of that, the temptation. Do you think he was ever in a bad mood? Interesting question, right? Did he ever wake up too early, like, no one talked to me for 20 minutes? <laughs> He camped all the time with his disciples. He had to have some of those mornings like, no. Until there's coffee, we're not talking, right? Every way he's been tempted, yet without sin. Now that is cool, but look at this next verse. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in a time of our need. See, if a human was creating this religion, this verse would be taken out. Because we would say, he's lived the life you lived, he's been tempted every way you have, and he didn't sin. So guess what? Get your act together. Jesus did it. What's wrong with you? He didn't sin. But notice the next verse. Because he experienced a life you and I experience, therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Meaning he gets you. Every time you fall short, he says, oh, I know how hard that is. Every time you doubt him, he says, oh, I know what that's like. Every time you question and say, God, really, this is your plan? This doesn't make sense. This hurts. He says, I know. I get it. I know what it's like to live in a broken world that you live in. So instead of then leading to legalism, the writer of Hebrews says, we have confidence to approach the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. What? because of the incarnation, because Jesus walked among us, that now we can go to him with confidence that nothing, there's nothing you can bring to him that he'd say, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? Everything, he says, oh, I love you so much that I, I made a way for you. I love you so much, I get it. I understand how hard that is. We can approach him with confidence most incredible truth in all of scripture. So we're going to end our time, and I want to invite you. Would you stand with us today? And my guess is there's some people in here today, you hear this, and you say, this is why I love Christianity. This truth is so deep within your soul. Coming week after week to remind yourself of it is why we do this. For some of you, maybe today you're here and you said, oh, that's, I keep forgetting that. I came here today guilty, filled with shame, with a list of earning my way back, and I needed to be reminded that I I can confidently approach Christ. And maybe some of you, today is the first time this made sense to you. And if it's you, we wanna invite you to pray with us, even now, to receive this truth. So let's close our eyes, and let's pray. And I wanna start with maybe someone in here today is saying, I want to receive that truth. I want to follow that Jesus, the one who entered into this world and experienced it and conquered sin and death for me. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart with me this morning? Just pray along with me and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you that your grace is enough for me. Would you be Lord of my life and send your spirit to live in me today? And if that's your prayer, all of heaven and earth rejoice. All of heaven's rejoicing over you today. For the rest of us in here, maybe it's just a reminder, and would we take a moment and say, God, we thank you that our confidence is in you and that you're not a God who came down to mock us, to shame us. You came for us, to rescue us. And I thank you that you rose from the dead and you are alive. And our hope is not in some dead faith, but it's in you. So Lord, would you increase our confidence today as we approach your throne and find mercy and grace in our one true hope, the name of Jesus. We thank you now in Jesus' name, Amen.